Happy Father's Day to those fathers out there. We're actually going to do something with Father's Day during the uh, Showcase Sunday today. So if you're a father, I certainly encourage you to come back during Showcase Sunday. That happens in between our two services today. And you'll be blessed if you're here for that. I wanted to remind everybody that next week we go to one service. So this will be our last Sunday for two services. Next Sunday we'll go to one service. We'll have an instrumental time at 9.30. And then we'll just take a very brief transition and go in at 10 o'clock into the rest of our worship for the morning. So 9.30 for an instrumental time of worship and praise. And then after that, uh, we'll go into an extended worship and then have some a cappella singing during that. So one service next Sunday. That should be clear to everybody by now. I'd love it if you turn in your Bibles, if you would, to page 826, if you're underneath the, if the Bible's underneath the seats. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're at today. And this has been a wonderful series. Like, I've absolutely loved, uh, again, having the opportunity to preach through Galatians, to consider Galatians, to think about Galatians. And a lot of that has to do just with the beauty of the gospel and the way that the gospel impacts us. And today we're looking some more at that. But there's a couple of things I want us to kind of get in our minds to begin with. And you might think of these as kind of direction-setting notions that we could look at this morning before we actually get into the text. The first one is this. We only have one side of the conversation. So in a few minutes, I'm going to read this, these verses, Galatians 6, 1 through 6, and we only have one side of the conversation. That means that Paul is giving us and giving the Galatians some comments reflecting on a situation. The question is, what's the situation? What's happening among the churches of Galatia that causes Paul to write what he does in response to their circumstances. So just think about that as we read through those verses. What's going on here that Paul's responding to? The second thing is this. To whom is Paul writing in Galatians, and what is the faith direction they're taking that could negatively shape their attitude towards sinners? Because we're going to talk about what Christians should do in response to sin on the part of other Christians. And something is shaping their attitude or perspective What's the faith direction that's causing them to take the, re the response that they are? So we've got a circumstance that's causing Paul to write, and then what is the, what's going on? What's the mindset that causes them to take the direction that they do? And then thirdly, I want you to just think about some, some comments here. He couldn't see the forest for the trees. That's a comment that we sometimes hear. But what exactly does that mean? He couldn't see the forest for the trees. In fact, somebody tell me, what's the point of that? He couldn't see the forest for the trees. Can't see the big picture. And why can't he see the big picture? Okay, yeah. So there's something in the foreground, something so dominating our focus and attention in the foreground that we can't get the big picture. That's what we mean when we say he couldn't see the forest for the trees. And this morning, as we read through this passage, what I want you to get is the forest. Make sure you look for the forest in the verses that we're about to read. And then the second comment here, location, location, location. What does that mean? Where do we usually hear that? 
Okay, that's a, this is actually part of a commercial these days, if I remember right. Yeah, that's a possibility. But Greg Lidke is here, and Greg could tell us as well as anybody, what is this in reference to, Greg? Okay. Yeah, it's most important. So you could have a rather pathetic house, but if it's in a wonderful location, the value of that house is going to be way more. In fact, somebody's going to really enjoy living in that house, no matter how pathetic it is, because it's in a wonderful location. People like to sometimes live in shacks right on the beach, because it's beautiful. Okay? By the same token, you could take a beautiful house and put it in a neighborhood that's absolutely horrible, and man, the value of that property is going to go down for sure. And so location, location, location. Well, again, the notion of a big picture idea somehow impacting those things that are smaller or those things that are smaller impacting a big idea. And I want us to focus this morning as we read through these verses on the big idea. And then another kind of precursor here or comment. Think in terms of the forest first because it needs to guide how we think of the trees of the individual verses. So there are verses here that we're going to look at. And what do those verses mean in this particular context with this big kind of idea. You know, uh, I often teach introductory theology at either Alberta Bible College or Ambrose University. One of the, the ideas that I'm constantly trying to get the students to see, and which I had to learn a long time ago, is that the big ideas of Scripture need to dominate the individual verses. And so a big idea like love, for example needs to dominate what I see in individual verses. So I might see an individual verse that says something, and I think, well, what, you know, what exactly is that getting at, or what's the import of that specific verse? And a lot of times it's a big idea that needs to help us see what that verse is all about. So think about these things then as we read through Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Look at the text with me, please. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit... And what the text really says is, like, like the Greek doesn't actually say those who live by the Spirit. It says those who are spiritual. But I think this is a good translation, and that I think it really gets at the idea that the Holy Spirit is the one who's responsible for our spirituality. So those who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You catch someone in a sin, we need to restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And that last verse almost looks kind of tacked on, but we'll get to that in here in just a moment. Well, instead of starting in verse 1, I want you to look first of all at verses 3 through 5. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. There is, it seems to me, a certain attitude that is being expressed there, or maybe a fear that Paul has about what could be the attitude of these Galatian Christians. And so what is that? What is the concern? This is pretty easy. I'm not telling you anything deep here, and you can get this so easily on your own. In verses 3 through 5, what's Paul's concern? Okay, they are, and there's a problem here. Like, they're comparing themselves to other people, 
And namely, I think, maybe comparing those themselves to those who have sinned. And what do they think of themselves? Prideful. They think they're better. It would seem as though there's some possibility that there are some Christians who are thinking themselves as better than others. And therefore, that gives them, as far as they're concerned, the right to judge somebody else. Well, tell me, in the context of Galatians, who is it that could be thinking of themselves better than others? What do you think? Could be the Jews. That's a possibility. We certainly, we've had some Jewish Christians who've come into the churches in Galatia, and they have said to those churches in Galatia, you need to be following the law. And therefore, they, they think of themselves as better. But then, who is it that Paul's actually writing this letter to? Is he writing it to the Jewish Christians who've come down from Antioch? Or come down to Antioch from Jerusalem? Is that to who he's writing? You're shaking your head now. So, who is he writing to? Yeah, he is writing to Gentile Christians, and Gentile Christians who have done what? What, what have they done? What's, what's the whole important behind this letter? What, what's Paul writing to? What's the situation with these Gentile Christians? Yeah, and in the keeping of the law, or trying to follow the law, and being circumcised, what do you think has happened to their attitude about themselves? They seem to be maybe a little filled with pride. And because they are filled with pride, they then put themselves in the position of being able to evaluate others. And so here's what I think is actually happening. Clearly, the Gentiles who become legalistic are thinking more highly of themselves than they should, thinking only about rule-keeping, and then are harshly judging other sinners in their churches. And so it's not just a problem of them believing a gospel that has taken them away from the truth of Jesus. They now take that so-called gospel and they start applying it in their churches and in their attitudes toward others, specifically those whom they find sinning. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. Because the fact is, There is no one in their churches who is free from sin. You know, I look out this morning, and there are some people in this auditorium right now who actually still sin. It happens. And there is somebody that you're all looking at this morning who still sins. And what should be the perspective of those who sin about those who sin? And of course, the attitude needs to be one of grace and love. And so I think this is the circumstance. This is what Paul's really trying to face here. That's the circumstance in the Galatian churches that he's trying to address. The question is, what are we going to think about it? Or what are we going to do about it? What is Paul trying to tell us about it? And I would say that there are some forest kinds of statements that Paul wants us to get. Like, for example, we are sinners too, worse sinners than those whom we are judging. Isn't that what really is going on here? In fact, those who start judging other sinners are in many ways committing a sin, the sin of judging others, which is worse than the original sin of those that they're judging. 
In Romans, Paul would say, you are doing the very same things that you are judging others of. And here, he wants to say to these Gentile Christians, you've got to stop this. Now, there are some who look at verse 1. You know, there's a, the, the statement about watch yourselves also, or you too might be caught up in a sin. Look at that text. And they wonder, well, maybe the problem here is that if a person is uh, confronting somebody else about their sin, maybe they're going to get caught up in the same sin. And I don't think that's the problem. Like, I don't think that if you find somebody who is, for example, stealing from their boss, that you go to them and say, you've got to stop stealing from your boss, and then the temptation is for you to start stealing from your boss. I don't think that's the problem. Um, You know, if you find somebody who's cheating on their income taxes, I doubt that the temptation is for you to all of a sudden start cheating on your income taxes. Uh, If you find someone who is an addict in some way, dealing with somebody who's an alcoholic or something. I don't think the temptation is for you all of a sudden to become an alcoholic because they're an alcoholic. The problem of the sin, being tempted to sin in dealing with somebody else, is not so much that you're going to start doing what they're doing. The problem is the sin of judgment that is so likely to go along with that, so easily to go along with that. One of the things I learned a long time ago when it comes to addressing sin in the church and us talking to others is that I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to serve as the one who is a judge. Only Jesus is qualified to serve as the one who is the judge. I was looking this week at a text that said, all judgment the Father has handed over to the Son. It's interesting that the Son receives all the opportunities for judgment. The prerogative for judging becomes Jesus's. Not even the Father says, I'm going to judge. Instead, the Son is the one who judges. And why is that? Because he's the one who lived this life perfectly, and we did not. And so I don't live perfectly before God. I certainly am not qualified then to evaluate others. Instead, I'm the sinner who deserves judgment. And it's only by the grace of God that I don't receive it. So the first principle is we're sinners too. We're sinners than those whom we're judging. And we've got to be really careful. The second is this. We live by the Spirit, not the law. In verse 1, it says that we live by the Spirit. And it's kind of an almost throwaway line. You could easily just dispose of it and act like it's not even there hardly. Read through the rest and you'd get it. But here's the point. We, in fact, live only by the Spirit. And we need to take that fact that we live only by the Spirit and recognize that only the Father is good. And if anything works good in us at all, it's God who works that good within us. So if there's anything that allows me to say to anybody else, hey, you know, I've seen sin in your life. This needs to be corrected. You've got some things you need to work on here. If there's anything that allows me to do that, it certainly isn't the fact that I'm a sinner. But it is because... I live by the Spirit. And the Spirit works in me in such a way that now I, through no ability at all on my own, have the opportunity to say to someone something about their own sin because of the Spirit who lives within me. Our general perspective, the forest that we need to see, is that we can live well only because of Christ who lives in us, only because the Spirit lives in us, which takes away every ounce of our own qualification to judge others. 
You think about all the times when you do judge somebody else for a host of things. And I do it too. You know, it's not uncommon at all for me to hear something that's going on around the church. Somebody's doing this. Somebody's caught up in that. Or I watch somebody and they'll say something or mistreat someone in a certain way. And I have to tell you that it's awfully easy for me to sit in my office and judge. Like, I, I have to confess, it's way too easy for me to sit in my office with the other staff and say to them something ungodly about somebody else in our church because of the sin that I know is present and that I've heard about. It just happens. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. But when I look at the reality of the situation, I am absolutely unqualified to think those things. I'm absolutely unqualified to say those things. And the reason is because I too am a sinner. We need to constantly recognize that we have no right to judge. And then thirdly, fulfilling the law of Christ directly connected to mercifully loving your neighbor as yourself. I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's an interesting line in Scripture. A lot of commentators don't know exactly what to do with that. What is the law of Christ? And if I ask you, almost all of you would say, and I think you'd probably be right, well, it's the law of love. We love our neighbors ourselves. And I think that's right. I think that's getting at the point. And so if nothing else, when it comes to evaluating somebody else's life, and when we do hear that there is sin in someone else's life, loving, loving our neighbor as ourselves has to be, I think, a criteria, a direction that we follow that will guide us and help us to do this in the way that God wants us to do this. This is what allows us actually to carry their burden along with them. Paul says that too, carry their burden. And that's what we need to do is carry the burden. Just think about that. Someone gets caught in a sin, and we who are spiritual, we restore them gently and then carry their burden with them. If the sinner doesn't know primarily and first off that they're loved by those who are questioning them, there's a problem. And we need to respond in that way to those who sin. Now, I want you to look at verse 6. We're going to round this up here. Verse 6 just says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And it looks like a total tack-on. Like, why is that there? Does it fit the context at all to all of a sudden say that? And here's what I think is happening. The Gentile Christians of Galatia have been misled, whether by their, Je their Jewish rulers who've come down from Jerusalem or other Gentile Christians in the church. And they have been told that it's necessary now for them to become Jews, to follow the Jewish law. And it's now time then for these Jewish teachers or those Gentiles who might be doing this teaching to be taught. And who's going to teach them? Sometimes we're pretty nervous about saying to somebody who is older and wiser and established in the church to them that they're the ones who need to learn something. But there are times when that needs to happen. And so when you find someone who is maybe too freely 
judging somebody else, when there is an attitude there that doesn't need to be, we need to ask ourselves the question, who's the student here and who needs to learn? What principle should guide those who live by the Spirit when they go to correct those trying to live by the law? And of course, the principle is still the law of Christ. It's still grace. It's still reflection on the fact that we all are in this boat together, sinning together. And it's only Christ who judges. It's only Christ who truly can correct who we are. And so there might be times we needed to go to someone who really is, you'd think not needing correction, and you need to go to correct them. But when you do that, you then need to have the attitude of humility and graciousness and love even for the person who maybe is doing the teaching and who especially needs your grace. Let's pray. Lord, there is nobody here who, who doesn't need correction. But there is also no one here who has the right to correct. And so God, we pray that you would help us to to see ourselves as those who stand only by your grace. But because of your grace and your love and your mercy, we do stand able to share with others the things that need to happen in their lives. Because we do stand in a place where we, we know what sin is. And we have then received from you all grace and love and mercy. And so we thank you for what we have received and we pray that somehow, God, we'd be able to pass this same attitude, this graciousness, this love, this encouragement and building up to the sinner. We pray that we'd be able to pass that on to them because we see that that's what you've consistently done with us. We praise you and thank you the grace and forgiveness we have received in Jesus. It's through him we pray. Amen.